Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast with me, James Roberts, transformational coach, two-time Paralympian, and TEDx speaker. I have another awesome episode for you today, so let's get straight into it. And on today's show, I've got Ed Gibbons. Ed is the co-founder and product lead at Rewire Fitness. Rewire is a mental fitness app that helps athletes reach their full potential and avoid burnout by providing tools that improve mindset, readiness, and resilience. So welcome onto the show, Ed. Thanks for having me, James. It's great to be here. Oh, my pleasure. So if we go right back to the beginning for you, Ed, what, what is it that first got you into to sport, first and foremost, and then to co-found and create an app specifically around readiness, um, mindset, and considering I read it a second ago, resilience. <laughs> yeah, so my sort of sporting journey, well, the sort of core part of my sporting journey, at least aside from, you know, early little kicker type of activities, um, was, was playing rugby at school. So, uh, you know, first uh, came to secondary school, hadn't played any kind of school sport at all, really at a high level. Uh, started playing rugby just in the D team, the fourth team down, uh, and a pretty, uh, you know, I wasn't great starting out, but really just loved that whole nature of competing, that whole nature of training, and uh, started to get better and better, climb the teams, climb the ladder, um, and uh, ended up competing at quite a high level in rugby. Um, when I was about 13, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and that sort of began my journey of like performance optimization. So, how could I get my blood sugars in the best state of performance? And when you're literally controlling a bodily process, you get very attuned to your own physiology. So I went through this whole process of how can I get my blood sugars in the best state of performance? And then it was training. How can I get my training in the best state of performance? And then it was recovery. How can I improve my recovery so that I'm you know, better prepared for training, better prepared for performing, um, nutrition, uh, and then mindset as well. Um, so I really went through that whole sort of journey of performance optimization whilst climbing the ladder of rugby, um, going from sort of D team level to much higher level when I when I um, you know finished, well, went on to university, played at university, uh, studied sport and exercise science. Um, so really sort of developed those two passions of sports science and sports at the same time, uh, as well as always having a love for technology. Uh, so passions collided uh, i met some of my co-founders and we we started building this app um or platform for athletes to really help them uh train their mental fitness which is um you know a massive part of performance we all know how important the mind is when we think about performance um and really we wanted to build a solution to help help athletes train that um so yeah that's uh brought us here <laughs> I'm curious, Ed, what route did you, because obviously I, most people do and some people don't know this, obviously I study sports science as well, but what what specialty did you go down the route? Did you go down, because obviously you're talking about physiology, biology and anatomy, or did you find the, the curiosity more around psycho, sports psychology? Yeah, it's quite interesting. I, um, I really like sports psychology, um, but my real interest is sort of around that connection 
as it ties back to the sort of physiology as well. So like coming, you know, when we look at perception of effort as a sort of key driver behind performance. So how can we, you know, tie in, um, sort of the, the neuroscience and the, and, uh, the psychology back to sort of ultimately output and, and typically that output has, has some nature in sort of physiology. So kind of the, the accumulation of them all, I'd say the sort of the, the, star of the passion is is really stemming out of that sort of whole nature of perception of effort and and how that drives performance but that that whole thing is subjective that that uh depending on if you did it on this is going to test me now to my my memory on it uh the scale mm-hmm. of one to ten and then i think it, the other one is four to twenty so it's it's very subjective yes. by one individual to the next between uh, their perceived eff- uh, output in, in effort could be I don't know. Obviously, before we were talking about performance, obviously the the the, the last uh, um, sprint would be should be a ten, and obviously then you work way down there. So it it's it it for me it's it's not a very good um, moderator or to look at data because obviously it's, it's, it's very subjective and on a view to ask somebody like on a one to, scale of one to ten what's their pain tolerance or what what's their pain obviously that's going to differentiate because obviously the person uh might be uh, less can can endure pain a lot more than somebody else and somebody might be a little bit more uh how would i describe this uh susceptible to yeah um, to pain a lot easier yeah and that's that's really what i find fascinating um the the you know kind of alluding to is that sort of gap in perception between what we're actually perceiving and what we're actually outputting um but sort of what the research shows and what we know sort of um anecdotally as well is that perception of effort is a real limiter on our performance you know if we were in a Say if you're in a lab and you're testing someone on a treadmill or if you're training someone that are on a treadmill, you ask them what level they're at and they say they're at a 10 and, you know, they think they're going full pelt. Second, you give them more motivation. You give them some sort of cues. You give them some, some self-talk. You get people around them cheering them on. Suddenly, they're able to go a whole lot harder. Um, and hold on a sec, they were just at a 10. And now they've just gone a whole lot faster, but they're still at a 10. And it's like this gap between your perception of effort um and what you're actually outputting that's fascinating um when when we think of you know the root what the research has shown there's a very interesting study 2009 study by Marcora into sort of mental fatigue which is sort of the core limiter that, that sort of affects perception of effort and what they showed was that um mental fatigue limited endurance performance and that wasn't for any sort of physiological mechanism but really through um the perception of effort that was the, the primary limiter uh, there were no changes in in their heart rate or in their lactate levels it was all uh, on the perception of effort side of things that was really driving that limitation in performance and it kind of makes sense because if we feel like we're going in a 10 uh we can't go any harder but second we can sort of reduce that barrier there's a whole lot more in the tank um and that what we call it perception gap we created a whole sort of algorithm around it um is is the more we can train that the more we can train our our tolerance to mental fatigue 
the higher we can push our performance, which is uh, awesome. Well, I think obviously self-development talks about inner belief. So this is a conversation I won't name the person. Uh, um, when did I have this conversation? Um, about last year, about their 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 levels of output when it came to performance. And be it we both in this case have the similar disability and they were saying, oh, I can't do this level of effort because of X, Y, Z. I was like, that's so untrue because obviously from a physiological statement, I know that to be untrue because obviously this depends on the person's goal as well. If they, if they wanted to go to the, the heights of obviously if we're talking the Commonwealth Games are on, uh, if they wanted to go to the Olympics or Paralympics, obviously this is a, a desire or a dream that they might have. So they're, they're kind of putting a limiter on what they can do uh, from a physical state point of view because they deem it not possible. So it's a belief aspect of uh, they're almost putting a, um, a concrete ceiling on what, what they're able to achieve uh, physiologically because, oh, I can't do it. So it's, it's another probably a different way of looking at um, perceived effort. But if you were to challenge, obviously, that inner belief of what you're actually capable of doing, of it's almost like a, a Jekyll or Hyde or devil versus an angel hypothesis of if you challenged, obviously, that belief of what you think is possible, ultimately, and maybe looked at the, though through the perspective of somebody as a child, obviously, there's no barrier. There's no perceived effort as, okay, Ed's doing this. I want to do that as well. There's, there's no, there's no, there's no gap. There's, there's, there's no. If I want to, to, to be uh, on par with him, I'll do it. I don't look at all the flaws. I don't look at all uh, the tangibles that could go wrong. I want to do it. So it, I think it's obviously you could use it what what you called it, or you could look at it from more from a um, self development standpoint in the psychology of it, it's an inner belief. Uh, or, or a little bit of an internal conflict that you've got to obviously be to be able to get to the outcome that you desire right yeah it's almost like there's this physical barrier and this mental barrier and with quite a lot of people that mental barrier uh, i'd say the vast vast majority of people that mental barrier is below that physical barrier and yet the really interesting thing is that mental barrier is is one of those things that we can we can improve quite easily through you know as you put it self-development uh we can do a variety of on the spot strategies um you know we can introduce self-talk we can use visualization strategies um even some, some sort of breath work as well um and then and then and then from a long-term standpoint we can train that too we can train that tolerance to, to mental fatigue and that sort of barrier of, of, of perception of effort um so some really interesting ways we can sort of adapt that and it in this sort of world of marginal gains, the mind is is actually one of those really untapped components, and and like for a lot of people that 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 first barrier really and and the, the one that hits them first. So we talk about those sort of really peak efforts um, is the mental side of things. Well, I think the subconscious of this that is as we've alluded to it a little bit is fear. It's the fear and the uncertainty of the unknown. Is 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 okay we're talking about obviously health and fitness is if i was to do this bout of exercise am i going to collapse ultimately 
a performance athlete is not going to think about that because it's 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 one of the if not one of the key factors of exertion it could happen you train to obviously not have it occur because you're improving your your cardiovascular t- um, uh, performance over a duration thus obviously over time that's going to improve thus your resistance to lactates and, and other toxins are going to improve obviously you can't get rid of it completely but your uh, your systems are going to come become more and more optimal and more efficient over the time so I think obviously the the element of self-talk uh, obviously you could reverse that and say the the element of self-doubt that will creep into the general populace probably doesn't stick around that that long for for athletes because it's like well that's not useful it's it, it I, I can I, I can see you coming in but nah you don't help to the situation thus you might as well go away um so i, I can see where uh self-talk is, is is powerful uh probably the same when i did my dissertation um in physiology uh when i actually did my part of the testing i had no support so that was pretty <laughs> brutal to do uh what was it vo2 max and then a super super max so so people that don't know what super max is is a sub optimal uh percentage so i think we worked out um originally both my myself and the supervisor overestimated it we made it too hard but i didn't have to do the first one so i didn't have to do it three times so i thank the i thank the uh johannes i should give him a shout out on the on the episode because he did the test three times, everybody else did it twice. Uh, <laughs> and 105% is tough when you've got no support, because yeah. it, it's brutal. <laughs> I've done, uh, as a year what I've been, my second year, having to do a VO, VO uh, testing, which is obviously sub-maximal, um, and managed to do a VO2 max, but I'd come back from the Olympics, so I wasn't surprised. Uh, but, you had it i had it the difference between the two is i had encouragement with obviously others in the lab and then through my dissertation the only person that was in the lab at that time was the technician so it was just making sure everything went right yeah. that was it he he had other things to worry about to do with his phd and things like that so to have to motivate yourself for two tests in the space of probably an hour was brutal but see i won't i won't digress and talk too much about myself so it's... no it's 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 like the nature of how it you know that support both like internal and and external as well makes a huge difference and uh you know that's not having an effect on any of part of your physiology <laughs> it's all uh happening on the mental side of things and yet it has such a huge huge impact um you know fears obviously a component i think motivation as well kind of alluded to there um you know how 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 hard are you willing to go um it's very hard to use like the term lazy when you're talking about pro athletes but there's sort of that scale um only athletes there's sort of the scale of motivation and the the, the higher you can push yourself to the to the end of that scale the better um, well, there's probably a spectrum we even with uh... Obviously, we use high-level athletes. We could call them elite, but there's a spectrum with that as to 
how far is the individual willing to to go to be successful obviously that's very subjective the word in itself so it could be i'll use the commonwealth games because that's a massive spectrum to be it between say as we're talking it's the athletics are obviously on the you could probably put the australians the canadians and the home countries on one end of the spectrum to uh, i'll use one of the little islands that's in the commonwealth there's a mass vast of of what the expectation of that athlete is to do to succeed for somebody that is i won't say there's no hope in hell that they win a medal but obviously going in it's, it's probably thousand to one if not higher than that that they would ever ever even get into that possibility so their deeming success is probably representing their country whereas if you were to say the likes of and i forgot the jamaicans i apologize the if you think of that obviously you you, you throw the, the jamaicans into the mix of the sprinters if we use the women specifically 100 meters they should come off the back of the world champs only a few weeks ago they should obviously come one, two, three once again. So that's so the, the difference in terms of uh, point of view when it comes to that is massive. Like it's night and day, even at the very top, because the the realization for for an individual is their their Everest or I put it or like a mountain top would be to obviously make the Commonwealth, to make the Olympics, to make the Paralympics. That's as as far as they could go with obviously what they've got available to them obviously if we rewind back to my days at high level sport if you compare london to beijing they're to completely two different games because london i knew there was no hope in hell of, of meddling in volleyball it was the, the the pretty much the planets would have to align for that to happen versus obviously my days with the with gb rowing there's almost like an expectation of you to meddle of there's that pedigree of of almost want to emulate um uh, sir redgrave and matthew pinson because it's like well i want a piece of that pie there's almost uh to a certain extent okay i didn't meddle in beijing but i felt quite disappointed with my performance a couple of days later because everybody else has got had obviously some artifact to show for it i've got other things to show for it now uh, over a, de- a decade on to kind of go well yes you were successful xyz you 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 made a, a final on your first attempt which is obviously <laughs> takes some doing and obviously from that perspective it, it the, the expectations are completely different even if i use myself because one games there's an outside chance of meddling end up finishing fifth is is not too bad some people might say that's quite good um i'm very happy that we didn't uh, we we marginally lost by that much to fourth place i'd probably be livid if it was fourth place because it's, it's like well i'm so close but yes so far to london fast forward to london and being a beaten quarter finalist it's not the end of the world okay we lost to the ended up the, the iran ended up being silver medalist i can take some pride from that but Going into the games is like completely different in terms of the approach, uh, the the psychology 
systems that you got to put in place, the resiliency, uh, the dealing with stress, etc. Mm. Obviously, Beijing is abnormal because I wasn't stressed in the final, which people would probably find that very odd because <laughs> you think first first games, first final, stress. But I think because of we didn't do this deliberately, but we masqueraded to the press that a final is good, a medal be ecstatic. Internally, that's not what's being said. Yeah, final is a must. Obviously, otherwise, it's, 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 the games is a failure. Uh, mm. Obviously, I wouldn't use that. I wouldn't use that language. But it was that that kind of um, you were expected. That was the bare minimum was to make mm. the final which is a lot of pressure because other countries have something to say about that and they're not going to they're not going to uh leave any stone unturned and they're going to throw the kitchen sink uh to to obviously London I was the only member of the team had gone to a games before so the, the expectation of I was generally the one that was being asked well what's it going to be like what's it's like well I'm lucky that I've known enough athletes in the decade that I competed to ask them, well, what's it like one game to the next that you've competed? And they said it's like apples and oranges. There's not one game is the same. The, 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 you, you, you can't compare them because they're completely different. And obviously they're going into it and uh, in aspects of what you take out of it is completely different. So I kind of let them, well, you, you build up a, a picture that you want to be to envision. Even I didn't expect how it would how it go in London, and and I was obviously pleasantly pleasantly surprised to to the point of the make or break game we had against Morocco. I was more stressed than I was in Beijing, which you would find very odd because. But I think the pressure of competing at home uh, still has opportunity <laughs> to to get out of the group. And okay, we lost to them two years prior at World. So I think I, I I chatted with them afterwards that they were making loads of excuses as to why they lost. It's like the t- our team is not the same beast as it was two years ago. It was we trained full time for three months as a team. So it's almost like even one of the guys that didn't make the team, he's like this team is unrecognizable from the the team I left three months ago. I was like, well, that's what's going to happen. Um, so I think it, it does build up that resiliency and it, and it comes back to obviously what you mentioned Ed, earlier of that perceived exertion. I think it's definitely mental because what people are willing to, I don't want to use the word sacrifice, but at the top end of sport, we're talking about inches we're talking about yeah minute percentages of whoever's willing to do whatever it takes is going to be successful so it, okay yeah. mar- marginal gains is taken for british cycling but these are like milliseconds the 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 fractions of things but obviously if you 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 take that away and go lower down to grassroots and up these are massive gains. Yeah, yeah. It's and and you talk about that sort of um, gap in expectations, even amongst like the different teams in the same country. Like 
British cycling is a great example. Like pre Dave Brailsford, we're, we're talking about no sort of expectations at all really of any success and and through that whole team building culture marginal gains philosophy um become one of the top teams in the world and um you know a lot a lot can happen through um you know good team culture and good support system around you um i'd be really interested to get your perspective as well as someone that sort of competed at that you know top top level where the the gap in you know when I've, I've spoken to a lot of elite athletes and and generally i get this uh message that you know at the top level everyone's on a similar sort of benchmark physically and this the, the part that really separates people is the mental aspect the mental edge i, I would agree with that because obviously the the higher that you go up obviously the advantage that you have from a an ability standpoint, skill set, and, and physiological that you're talking about is going to get smaller because what you have access to is world class. So you've got mm. world class strength and conditioning, you've got world class physio, you 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 name it. Doesn't it would depend on the country, but obviously if we talk about the yeah. Brit- Britain, uh, it, it's world class in, in every aspect of it, and and they look to almost give you I won't say everything once I retired I can definitely see a difference of being able to access to things very readily uh, and and it's an aspect that I probably thoroughly miss a little bit to kind of just (laughs) go oh I've got this little niggle and and be seen the same day Um, so I think what we, we mentioned obviously is is I think when I did my sports science degree, oh gosh, how long ago, when did I graduate? Over ten years ago, sports psychology was in its infancy. Of we, we're talking of obviously, Dale, I'm quite proud that he's a fellow North Wailing, uh to to for him to have put British cycling on the map. Of they were willing to do. I won't say whatever it took. Look, whatever was legally allowed in cycling or track cycling at the time, they did. So if it was uh, take a, a little bit of weight out of the bike, they did it. If they put what is, um, I can't think what the shoes are, putting like uh, material over the shoes so that the zips don't ca- ca- get any drag. Obviously, every, yeah. every top end country is now doing that. Uh, to putting the bike through almost like Formula One testing to see yeah. the, the, almost the, the uh, oh, not jet, it's not jet stream, um, the stream of where yeah. where the, the, the particular rider is inefficient to be able to maximize that. And if our memory serves me right, they pretty much wipe the floor with every nation in, in, in the, the Olympics. So they've obviously fallen a long way from that now, uh, in the 2020s, uh, I think everybody's caught up, um, and the governing body has probably taken any little bit of uh, how would I call this ingenuity and yeah. made it ba- and ban it because it's like uh, it's the same with uh, Chris Boardman when he broke the, the hour mark years and years ago they banned yeah. where they could put the handlebars I was thinking well if this is going to make 
the sport more entertaining. It's gonna progress the sport. I see nothing wrong with it because it's if, if the the only issue that that is obviously stumbling block is the developing countries if they've they've not got access to ultimately lots and lots of money. Um, because I know a few coaches that are like keen cyclists. You're talking about three four thousand pound for a bike. It's a lot of money for even the the well you could call an enthusiast because it's not he's not elite level or national level cyclist but he wants to have the best that he can afford um you could say the same in in, in parallel sport is a little bit more crazy that when you throw that kind of money around that's not a lot of money that's obviously if you just want to be able to compete on on parity so why that is when it comes to disability sport that's a whole other topic yeah yeah i mean cycling is just one of those really great examples where they're just literally it's it's so data driven it's so like down to the the second they're really just going for those minor and and you see it from right from the top level of cycling down to just amateur cycling and the amount of data they're tracking there yeah, they've all got their power meters. They've got their bike computers. Um, it's uh, on the lightest, fastest bike possible. They they uh, got the right shoes, the right kit, like right helmet. <laughs> and uh, Formula One is another like they've got budgets of hundreds of millions, and they're just piling it into how you know saving. We're talking about thousands of a second, if that <laughs> adding up. Um, you know, I, I, I this stat always seems so unbelievable for me. So I'm, I'm I'm not even sure if it's right anymore. But it's something crazy. Like they're producing in Formula One, they're producing a new car park every sort of thirty seconds or so, <laughs> which is just insane. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 wild what what that sort of level of ingenuity you can can do in terms of of, of pushing things further. Um, and yeah. No, but I think that's that's the progression that we we need to to get at, and this is something I was talking about on on a Facebook Live that I did yesterday of always progressing uh, and always evolving, growing. Because obviously, if if you don't, you stop learning, you you stop reinventing yourself, you stagnate, and obviously it's, you don't go anywhere. So it, it, you kind of build up an inability to be resilient you you build up um a state in yourself that is obviously going to be the complete opposite of what you want to do because you you you're creating this inability to be to be resilient to be resourceful to be able to pivot when things go wrong because you have this and you could blame schools for this to a certain extent i'm talking about probably secondary school and and younger for Obviously, subjects are not, they're not interesting. They're not, um, they don't push individuals in a certain way. I'm not going to say cover criticism of, of the curriculum because that's not fair to the teacher. They're only doing what they're told to do but based on what a government is telling them to, uh, what you and I need to learn. Um, but I've, I, even when I worked in, 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 I wasn't a teacher, but I was a teaching assistant, I pushed the status quo as, why can't you teach science outside? Why can't you teach math outside? Because the kids are going to be more interested if you make it real life to to doing something that's inside of 
I know they're gonna mess around when it comes to science of you, you, you smelling this, the the or all the <laughs> chemicals and things like that because kids are being silly. But in terms of you can make it as real and as close as real life as possible, they're gonna be intrigued of if you might you made okay, you and I obviously went into a discipline that is very number crazy in terms of it doesn't mm. matter if it's psychology, it doesn't matter if it's bio um, biochemistry, bio biomechanics, physiology, strength and conditioning as 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 obviously is an offshoot of that now, it's all numbers driven in terms of yeah. ultimately um, one of my former lecturers obviously worked with British Cycling, UK Sport, Welsh, 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 uh, the WRU, RFU. So in terms of, of uh, if that's probably somebody I want to speak to, it's quite nice to have that kind of access to to be able to kind of go, okay, why are we doing? Uh, what was I? I did a particular post on obviously the benefits of uh, cold showering, ice baths, things like that. And somebody's like, well, what is the benefit of doing it multiple times a day? That's obviously a lecture I can go and say, well, for a sport, what is the optimum benefit of it? And obviously the science will back it up as this is uh, a series of individuals in placebo A versus obviously group of individuals in, 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 in B. So you can see by obviously me talking, it is number crazy in terms of... Uh, Ultimately, the science is only trying to prove something to be correct or discrediting it to kind of go, this is why this is flawed based on the parameters X, Y, Z. So it's mm. always trying to push the envelope out and try, even if it's the same scientists, it, they might they might come out of a study uh, today and in five years' time they discredit because they've got more information and, and more people to kind of go, well, this this hypothesis or conclusion is flawed because of what we've discovered in the five years uh, post that so it, it is always interesting uh when it comes out and obviously sports when you look at psychology in itself and, and mental performance and and mindset as uh, a subcategory of probably the fitness industry is very new uh it's very exciting uh, and ultimately, you look at people's behaviors and habits because people could say at the end of the day, even for my job as, as working with people to help with the losing weight and things like that, is focusing on mindset because it's giving the person the understanding of where their behaviors have got them to. And it's not necessarily stuck where mm. person in their old age um, typically would be stubborn and say, I can't change because obviously there's um, potential unwillingness to do so or they can't see the the pain that they're in versus obviously the pain of changing ultimately mm. it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say well the the pain of changing should be less severe than what you're at present to yeah do with, to do with that but that is a perception that obviously you got to awaken because people aren't aware of it It'd be i think maybe from uh, if we generalize maybe the the women perspective they they're more aware of their, their their feelings how they perceive themselves how they look and and what they would like to be versus a man as okay 
I've got a beard gut, but it's all right. And and, and kind of play off it as, oh, it's not a big deal. But if it got to a stage where it's affecting your health long term of, you know, uh, kidney disease, heart disease, anything like that, you're going to do something about it because obviously the, work, the, the end result is unthinkable. Yeah, well, so, so much of my job is on the, on the product side of things is really bridging that gap between science, what the science says, and, and user experience, like how someone's actually going to engage with it and like the reality of that. You know, if you, if you speak to a scientist, they're, they're sort of, um, you know, the best way to monitor cognitive fatigue, for example, might be, you know, a 30-minute test every day. But in reality, who's going to do that? So it's like bridging this gap between how people are actually going to engage with something and and also what happens outside of a lab, what happens outside of a closed environment. Uh, kind of coming back to what you said about, you know, doing stuff outside, like when stuff is doesn't work perfectly, when you don't have the best conditions, like how do you react to that? Um, so kind of this sort of bridge between science and user experience, which is, I, I find fascinating fascinating um well i think obviously you've alluded to there lab is is a perfect conditions it's clean yes it's to certain well other than my dissertation didn't go perfectly uh i can attest <laughs> to that it was a, a nightmare to a certain extent of, of equipment going wrong and th- so i had to improvise quite a lot even as a third year uh to yeah. go from uh, a machine that is oh, it's probably almost obsolete now, but of oh, what's it called? Oxygon uh, to test oxygen expenditure of doing the one that is um, what's the word I want to use? Static yeah. to, to the one that you probably most people are even, even seen on television now that the people carry on their back. It's like a yeah, this... it's like a little rucksack. Yeah. I had to use that as a kind of a fallback situation. Now that's probably standard. Now that other one, um, yeah, to the point because it was like, well, it needs to be the other one needs to be repaired. Don't know how long it's going to take you to, to before it's repaired. We advise you to do that, and obviously, obviously the the yeah. rest is, is history. So I think people need to take it with a pinch of salt because obviously those those environmental factors are yeah. standardized so it's it's it makes it easier to obviously reproduce of okay we did this, yeah. this this and this on the following test we need to do this 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 and this so be it if we were to take bloods we did it this way if we were to take uh lack lactate testing so take blood from people yeah. obviously you're a diabetic type 1 type 2 diabetic would, would do this anyway uh, we'd do this and this is the, the procedures we've got to fall upon to be ethically etc 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 and obviously from um, a real life situation of you're saying doing cognitive tests every day you could probably say the same way if I was to say somebody you've got to meditate for 30 minutes every single day if you've yeah. never done it before, it's like, well, okay, I might have this bias of I'm going to use myself now because this is true because uh, I did have this bias years and years ago of <coughs> it's very Buddhist-like and it's somebody that's humming and, and, and they're wearing this orange jumpsuit. That's a bias, thus I'm unwilling to even contemplate exploring the idea. It's the same 
with uh, the idea of visualization. I couldn't do it because it was, uh, what was it for the games for Beijing? Back in 2004, we had to visualize what the the building was going to be like, the, the water cube was going to like inside from a 2D image. That is very difficult for most people to do because it's a 2D yeah. image. I, 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 there's nothing to go on. It's almost like a sheet of paper and what what can I do with this? Whereas, how old have I been? I've been about 15, 16. I've been a typical teenager. I've been rebellious. Whereas if I'd have been a little bit more open to to be almost like a kid of, of daydreaming and kind of going, well, I can make it whatever I want it to be on the inside. It doesn't have to be totally exact. Uh, did I imagine it? I actually got to go um, as a spectator. It probably didn't, even the, the, the 2D imagery, that I, if I remember right, I can't remember what it looked like, but we're talking about almost 20 years ago. <laughs> but it probably blew me away when I was inside the physical building because it's like, well, I've actually materialized uh, a a dream to be able to. Okay, I'm not I'm not here competing as a swimmer as the 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 foresight of the whole idea was twenty years ago. But I've made it. I get a visual. I get a experience. Not visualize. I get experience something in, in in real life. Yeah, I mean, part of what we do is try and make those all those protocols as accessible as we can. Like meditation is one of those things that's actually pretty hard to achieve. Like you need to train to be in a state where you can actually effectively meditate, and that takes weeks and weeks. Sorry, weeks and weeks of practice, at least eight. Um, what we try and do is create, you know, bring protocols that are extremely accessible on the spot, um, and then make them as accessible as we can, and and really fine tune them to what the state's in. So that's big part of what we do at Rewa. Um, I also love what you said about sort of, you know, adapting the right to, to, you know, the machine, things didn't go well and you adapted them. That's, you know, in business, that's why I love, love, love working with athletes. Like they're so resilient. They just embrace challenges and, and problem solve on the spot. And it's something that's just incredibly, um, you know, you see that in athletes all the time. Like it's, they're just inherently resilient people. Well, you could probably um, say can... very stubborn individuals. <laughs> As in, stubborn, they won't take no for an answer. Exactly. In terms of you they tell me no. no, okay, you need to back it up with facts now as to why this is not possible. If you can't mm-hmm. do that, obviously it's my job to prove it wrong. Ultimately, uh, if you talked about it from a, a mindset perspective, that the, the, it, it's it's almost an undoing of that individual be it even the military is a crossover a bit of is almost like this i've got to prove i've got to prove it some way shape or form to myself to others to uh, but ultimately i want people to take away from this is what what's the point because ultimately what are you trying to prove what have you got to prove and what would you accomplish by doing so if you think of it like that way in terms of well there's not the there's nothing to accomplish as well what is it that you you're getting out of it? It, it yes it can serve a purpose for especially in 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 that domain of getting you up the ladder because of, you utilize that energy um 
in somewhat of a good way to be able to fuel it. But it, f- for the long run, it, it, it's what, what, what's driving the happiness about it. Because ultimately, if you're trying to just prove to yourself that, oh, this goal is not good enough this goal is not good when is it ever going to be ever going to be that way and i think obviously you talk about it's a really it's a resilience but obviously it's it's an undoing sometimes because they're not the individual is not aware of what they're looking at obviously i've had loads of people i've spoken to over the years they're gonna go well why are you doing that it's like i can't tell you of i almost use this analogy at the beginning of the year to be able to prove something logically is like, well, why, why, why do you like conflict? Mm. It's like, well, if I hunker down in the bunker, I can go defensively, I can go offensively. The logic of that makes no sense. That's why would you want to create conflict with people just for the sake of it, which is competition uh, from that. But the, the, the adage that I, that, that you mentioned, uh, if we go back to the days, you know, I had no choice. It was. It's a third of the degree. You're gonna be resourceful. You're gonna pivot because thirty-three percent of a mark is huge. At the end mm-hmm. of the day, uh, it moved me from a third to almost a two-one, and that's just my dissertation. So, okay, I did almost get a first on it, so that would massively help. Um, but it was, oh, I think, because of the reason why I did that particular study was to do around disability sport and classification. So I, I always was told uh, as a swimmer, uh, it was a Australian classifier said if they had all the scientific evidence behind it, they would look at it. So I made it a mission of myself. as like, if even if it doesn't help me, which it didn't, it might help people in the future. Okay, it's unfortunate it didn't get published, but it kind of shows, well, it doesn't kind of, it shows that obviously what I've always been telling classifiers is if you're born with an impairment, you're going to be at a massive disadvantage that somebody's acquired it because I haven't been able to uh, garnish the musculature of somebody that has a car accident, has cancer. I can't build up my glute in a way that they have. Ultimately, that's a fact, but sport being sport it needs to see facts so it needs scientific evidence um the the study was inconclusive but obviously it, if you'd looked into it into greater detail you could see the power outputs are obviously slightly different so it it doesn't it doesn't need to you don't need a scientist to kind of go well, okay james is talking sense here maybe we need to look at it from that and obviously from a sporting perspective, it's a massive debate anyway. So, as in, to, to be able to tell somebody why that uh, one disability is in one camp and one's in another, you you you'd probably be here for days to be able to explain it, and probably still wouldn't be able to rationalise as to why. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those. Yeah, sports got so many variables, <laughs> so many. Um, you know, more so than probably any other, le- not leisure activity, but like, you know, <laughs> you, you compare those sort of, um, say music, for example, people are incredibly talented at music, but ultimately you practice and practice to the point where you can just 
you go on a stage you can do it sport there's so many variables that can happen like uh you're competing against others you don't know what state they're going to be in injury comes into play little niggles uh weather on a given day um you know even down to like the traffic on the way to the game or um things like that those are all mental factors though yeah yeah exactly and it's it's uh those are really come in and just um can you know makes athletes some of the the best people under pressure um because they're used to dealing with those sort of uncontrollable um well some uncontrollable and some controllable um factors uh, like that that really affect things on a given day well i think it's it's the tried and tested to certain extent of if you've got a good support network around you, they're able to give you the tools to, you know, you don't have to worry about injuries. You don't have to worry about niggles because it's going to be taken care of uh, to the traffic aspect of you plan ahead to be it's something that my wheelchair basketball coach, okay, he's competed at Paralympic level as well. The team needs to be there an hour before, before tip-off just to, just to predicate I don't know, an accident on a motorway, uh, you, something might happen that you're running late. Thus, you build that into into the equation of time management. Of This is not something that even I was very good at when yeah. I left school. It was something that I, uh, at secondary school, I lived, say, 10 minutes away from the school. So I and and I went to an American school, so I didn't have to wear a uniform. So I could literally roll out of bed, have breakfast, and be in the class and not be late. <laughs> when I went to university, it's almost built the other way around. If you've got set times to where you need to be in lecture halls, labs, or my seminars, etc., uh, to the point that I used that structure to build the sport around it because I couldn't do like what's the opposite because obviously in the summer I can do I could do this but you couldn't train at the same times as you would do if you were a full time athlete because I couldn't just say oh I'm not turning up to this lecture because you'd fall behind to the to, to obviously universities are now adjusted to almost adapt to to the individual of and I know well, my undergraduate definitely does it because it's come a long way because they would send you the recording of, of of the lecture when I went to the university that doesn't exist Of if you were to record it you'd probably be called lazy you're there but you're not taking notes you, you're utilizing technology to I don't I don't see I don't see anything wrong with it but it's out it's out there um, to to the point of everything's built for nowadays for the the, for the success of the individual because they want you to do well thus as an institution and i know this for a fact because both of them have done it both swansea university and university of chester piggybacked off after my success of making two games but if they don't invest into you you don't know what can happen and i i I owe swansea more particularly a lot of uh kudos because they believed in me and probably more so than I did going into my <laughs> first game because they gave me 
the opportunity to move from South Wales to Southern England, and then there's no guarantee of me making the team. So I owe them a lot of, of gratitude for doing that. And where am I going with this? In terms of your, your original point of they're very resourceful, I think especially... I think a lot of athletes do go into sports science because it's easy because they've already have had some access to it, especially at the very top of they'll use their nows to be able to utilize so that I, I did for sure to use my sports science uh, sports psychology lectures in particular to be able to run theories by I've got this problem. How do I make this theory work in practice? And obviously, da, 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 you could do this, 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 this. Okay, let's see if it goes. And, and, and this is something that I was able to do going back the other direction of, I did a, I did a paper on burnout um, in my final year. So I could mm. back it up with what was being said on BBC Sport, what I've been, what I've been taught. This is how you would apply it. This is how you'd apply it for a real person. And obviously, this mm. is steps to the new narrative that assess from it. I got massively praised, but I had advantage over a lot of the uh, my peers because I could be able to do in year one, year two, go away, implement these these pieces of science at the end of the day because it's only it's only um, theory, so it it's whether or not it works in practice, and then discredit some that didn't work for me. I was like, okay, that doesn't work. It works in practice, but it doesn't work for me okay let's go to the next one and then obviously apply it uh, uh, by the final year which is you're almost trained to do yeah yeah be self-sufficient and then be able to uh, implement how you do it on a more professional realm if i Mm. put it that way because obviously that's where you want to go to uh, beyond um, undergraduate is to go on to master's phd Maybe go into te- to, to, to teaching at university or go into some sort of uh, sporting field. Yeah, it's um, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's um, where am I going with this? Uh, <laughs> a great point, but we got it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, um, I think. Oh, yeah, I remember now. Um, to your point about different things work for different people i can agree with that more like it, it the, the what was working in a lab and what the science shows doesn't necessarily mean it works for you or um for people in your sport or for you know it just it's it's what's been shown on a given day and part of what we've built in into our system is some acknowledgement of that and the fact that every session you complete will give you some tracking of how that affected you so you can report before and after. We'll show your self-rated level of improvement. We'll also track any physiological metrics like heart rate or heart rate variability throughout that session. So you can actually learn what are these strategies that are working well for you. Um, and to your point, some some of it is we know inherently we can sort of pick that up, but just giving that sort of extra layer of you improved by this much or this is how much your heart rate trained from this session, you can start to get a picture of what are the key key strategies that work well for you um so uh yeah that's just one way of building that sort of um concept you were talking about there so what's your take on 
DNA markers when it comes to more. I'm not going to touch upon the physiological ones, but the like the the markers for you know what traits you pick up from 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 the uh, nurturing perspective. You know, like what you pick up from like fam family and things like that. Yeah, um, I haven't dug into DNA too much, um, but my sort of take on sort of nature versus nurture is uh, comes a lot from myself. Like I would say, I'm I my start is like I start not being very good at something, and then I'll just push really hard to to get to a point where I can. I can uh, achieve it. And uh, for me, a lot of that's like training, nurture, uh, like building that, that whole aspect. But whether that comes from, from, from DNA originally or not is, the, is a factor I don't know. Um, so, yeah, for me, I would say a lot of it is, is down to sort of how you, how you act and how you train and, and that. But um, I did read a great book a while ago. Uh, one of David Epstein's books, um, but it's been a while back now, so I can't really remember all that. So we're coming to the close of the episode now, and I like to ask this of every guest: if you got to sit down with any athlete, dead or alive, for that matter, Ed, who would that be, and why? Oh, <laughs> great question. Um, one of my, one of my heroes is, uh, Elliot Kipchoge. I just find him such an awesome guy. Um, just how humble he's able to stay, what he's been able to achieve. Um, you know, I was just, blown, I know it's an unofficial record, but I was just blown away with him, him, um, beating that two hour barrier. Um, I was in tears as he was running down that final straight and, uh, you know, he would be on my sort of dinner table. Um, that's one of the, uh, great sporting moments, I think for me. Um, so yeah, I think he'd be, he'd be up there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with him. I think you you mentioned a good point there of the two minute mark, uh, two hour mark for the marathon, and obviously the same probably was said of uh, Roger Bannister with breaking the four minute mile. Of for sure. doctors were turning around and saying, "I'm not going to, I'm not going to, don't quote me on this." But in terms of the person is going to collapse, in terms, okay, yeah, they've all had pacemakers, but they all trained to a certain level obviously break what is unprecedented of in terms of uh the four minute mile is only six, 60 years ago so it's not that long ago yeah. it might be a bit a bit longer than that um so i think people need to take it with an ounce of speculism to an extent to be willing to be <laughs> test things that are, that are unconventional because obviously things are there to be broken in terms of the science is always evolving the technology is always advancing so what what is what is capable and what is unprecedented i think is 
what I would probably say as a youngster, you know, the world's your oyster. It's, it's, it's what we're willing to uh, take from it. I think what you said of, of being uh, very, uh, athletes are very influential in being able to pivot is because they look at the, the, the future as uncertain. But hey, it's uncertain for a reason because I've not created it. I've not stepped into it. I've not created because it's it's both positive and negative. It's just the way that you look at it. As mm. it's probably an aspect of I what I take from my sporting days into my coaching is okay. If you've had success, that's wonderful. That's good. You've got something to anchor on. But if we keep going back to fear and failure, as okay, what what is it that you are so scared of? of jumping off this cliff so to speak what 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 is what what could go wrong if you've got the parachute it, it could it might not open that's why you've got a secondary parachute i shouldn't laugh but obviously that that one could go wrong potentially as well but in terms of in that scenario there is an there is a plan b it's this you don't plan for that eventuality coming true but it might do of Okay, I'm say to people jump head first into something. It's more, it's more, it's more barbaric. Of uh, the other anecdotes I'll use is the, the metaphor of a wall. You've got multiple scenarios. Just pick one. Hmm. The athlete will probably run through it, but that they're not afraid of what's on the other side. I might as well hurt myself going through it as well as the pain of what's on the other side, but. The other choice is to go around the wall, go under it, or go over it. Is is it's you've got obviously go left and right. And that would make five, but the uncertainty the other side would be the same in every scenario. Of there is something to be apprehensive of because you've not been there before. That's why mm-hmm. everybody is a relative beginner because that next level nobody's faced until they get there. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's it's like I think that's our generation's Roger Bannister moment, and just knocking down those barriers that just awesome to see. Like uh, you know, we'll see more and more of those as technology improves, as our understanding of human performance improves, um, and yeah, just more of those is just amazing to see. Um, so yeah. And my final question before we sign off on the episode, Ed, if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Yeah, I think um, to summarize it, just resilience plays a huge role in in performance um, at all levels. And we can train that to, to... perform at a much better level so ed once again thanks again for coming on the mindset athlete podcast thank you for having me james it's uh, been awesome talking to you it's been my pleasure thanks again for tuning in and i hope you enjoyed this episode and got loads from it anything that was included and discussed will be available in the show notes below and i would love to hear from you come and connect and ask your questions I've been James Roberts from jamesowenroberts.com. Remember this quote by Chris Hoth. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute. 
not by some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. <laughs>